0: Hi, my name is Katie Sullivan, and welcome to the second series of our podcast. Throughout the next two episodes, I will be chatting with one current Georgetown University head coach and one former GU head coach. They are both former collegiate athletes and can offer their perspective on Title IX from not only the point of view of an athlete, but also from the point of view as a coach. Both Pat Conlon and Kim Tortolani, who I will be speaking to shortly, experienced firsthand the effects of Title IX on athletics at Georgetown. Both coaches worked and continue to work passionately to help build their athletic programs and for the progression and advancement of their teams. In this episode, I will be talking with Pat Conlon, who is the current Georgetown University head softball coach. This is Coach Conlon's 16th season as the head coach at Georgetown and her 26th overall season as a collegiate softball coach. Coach Conlon shifted the direction of the softball team in 2006 from being a club sport at Georgetown to instead becoming a Division I program, which participates in the Big East. She has coached several Hoyas who have made it to the Big East team and the Big East second team and set a program record of 26 wins in 2014. Coach Conlon has built the Georgetown University softball program from the ground up into what it is today. Thanks to Coach Conlon, Georgetown University has a fantastic softball program, and she cannot wait for more seasons to come with the Hoyas. Without further ado, here's Pat Conlin.
1: I was born Patricia Conlon. Uh, my athletic name became Pat quickly. Um, I think when coaches and teammates are yelling your name, the shorter the better um, out on the field. So the only person who still calls me Patricia is my mother. Um, I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut and uh, went to the University of Connecticut, uh, played softball there, had an excellent career. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much you know about softball and those types of things, but um, I was a um, uh, an All-American, I was on the All-American team at UConn and uh, my senior year, we played in the Women's College World Series, which is equivalent to, you know, a, a basketball Final Four. Um, so, um you know, I went on to begin my coaching career kind of accidentally. Um, I, um, I wanted to, I was getting my master's degree, um, at Sacred Heart University, which is in Connecticut. And, um, a friend of mine who was a coach at Fairfield University said, Hey, would you like to come and work with my pitchers and earn a few thousand dollars? So I said, ah, sure, let's do it. We'll pay for some gas money. I was still living at home. And, um, that was probably the most work I've ever done for $2,000. Um, so um, my part-time pitching coach career really kind of took over. She, the head coach was um, also the volleyball coach. So she just kind of left the program to me. I was 21 years old um, and and did the best I could. Um, so, you know, it was certainly an interesting year. I was continuing my education. Um, and then I was asked to play Uh, internationally that following summer, Um, and I spent four months living in Holland, uh, playing internationally, and um, while I was in Holland, I got a phone call, and they asked if I would be interested in interviewing for the head coaching position at Fairfield, so um, that kind of started the career um, quickly. Um, At the time, at 22 years old, I was the youngest Division I head coach in uh, NCAA history, I'm sure that that has since been broken, but um, I'm not sure I really knew what I was doing, but I I was doing it Um, and uh, kind of living off of my playing experience and kind of relating that to the current team. So I spent three years as a head coach there. And then I went back to my alma mater and coached six years as the first assistant at UConn. Um, And at that point, I said, if my career is going to go on any further, now I need to get a different experience. Uh, so I coached at uh, NC State um, and we started a program there. So from scratch, um, and I spent a few years there, which was uh, fantastic. And then this job opened up in 2005. And um, so the similarities was with, that I was able to look at this program Um, And kind of be excited for for two things. Um, It was in the Big East and I was a Connecticut girl. I was a uh, kind of grew up in the Big East. Um, And second was I could start the program from scratch and I had just helped do that at NC State and I said, I mean, can lightning strike twice and um, to have the opportunity to kind of put your fingerprints all over a program um, is something pretty special as a as a coach. and then here I am, um, I'm in year 16 at Georgetown. Um, hard to believe, but um, but it's it's been a great place to, to work. And, and I live in Northern Virginia and it's a great place to raise a family. Um, and yeah, year 16, it's hard to believe, so. Um, and we got year 15 cut short and year 16, I'm not sure what's gonna happen to that. So there'll be a little hiatus in between, I think, so.
0: Hopefully, there will be a year 16 within some some games here and there, maybe. I'm
1: hoping. I'm keeping my fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) But I'm really interested in knowing, actually, did you see any differences between playing in Holland and playing in the United States? Or what was that experience like for you? Absolutely.
1: Um, You know, first of all, you know what they say, you need to go to Europe to find yourself. I completely agree. Um, It was an amazing, amazing four months um and i would encourage and i've encouraged some of my players now to if they have an opportunity to to go and play internationally to do it um that your career will wait for you a few months and um but the um uh, the intensity of the sport is very different so you know i was coming off of you know you know being a top player at a top program and going to the world series and practice in six days a week and three hours a day and lifting and doing all this stuff. And, 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 and they practiced, um, maybe once a week, uh, it was more social time than it was a practice. Um, you know, they would play on a Tuesday and a Saturday and, um, it was more of a social opportunity than, than the level of intensity, but we competed and we had a great time, but, um, the coach who I was playing for who recruited me um, was also a phys ed instructor for, for his local school. And he understood what I needed to do to be at the top of my game. So um, every day at lunch I would go and, and he'd catch a workout for me and separately knowing that he couldn't ask his team to practice every day the way we do in America. Uh, so, so, but, but the, the, the experience, the people um, just uh, just it it was an amazing amazing experience and the softball was just a really a small part of it but it was um and it's been fun you know we've we've I've since gone back a few times and my friends that I've met there have come here and just it's it was a definitely a worthwhile life-changing experience for me
0: so i'm hearing i need to go to europe soon To yes <laughs> so- yes yes, yes <laughs> absolutely.
1: Uh- Make sure you hit Amsterdam, at least for a night, so that'll,
0: that's, yeah, I, it looks beautiful there, so, <laughs> but, um, so I'm wondering, I mean, you kind of, you were an athlete in high school and college, and then being a coach, and so have you seen, a development of Title IX kind of, in or equality among um, female and male athletes being developed over time, or how have you seen that um, progress, if at all? Uh,
1: You know, I would absolutely say um, that Title IX has certainly broken down the barriers um, for female athletes. It's it's just given us more opportunities. Um, You know, I was lucky to go to the University of Connecticut. And if anybody knows anything about UConn, it's probably their women's basketball program. And when I was a student there in the early 90s, that program was on the rise. And it was on the rise because the university made a commitment, the athletic department made a commitment to Title IX and gender equity. The gender equity was this phrase that was thrown around the athletic department. Um, And and as a student, I remember it, um, and not probably at the moment, did I understand exactly what it meant, but when I was able to kind of step outside of being a player and then, and then into the coaching realm and particularly in a different school, just uh, you know, 60 miles down the road, I realized quickly what that meant. You know, the participation, the money, um, the, the budget, the travel, everything was, was provided was so different than what I was able to give my kids even at Fairfield. Um, so, so I, I was, I witnessed that in college, even though I didn't maybe know it at the time, um, that they were just providing more opportunities and experiences for the female athletes. Um, at Georgetown, I've seen it. We're here. Um, softball is here at Georgetown because we were part of, um, this trio of sports that needed to be added, um, you know, 20 years ago when the NCAA came through, their accreditation program and said, okay, you guys are not in compliance with Title IX, so you need to get more female participants. So women's lacrosse was started first, and uh, which makes sense. You already have the facility. You have a men's sport that's, that's playing lacrosse, and then they added golf, which adds a few more numbers, women's golf, and then uh, softball was that last piece um, that was brought into the mix. So Georgetown has actually gone the other way where a lot of times programs at the collegiate level right now are cutting sports to kind of get their numbers in line, their participation numbers. Um, Georgetown has actually gone the other way and increased their participation numbers, um, you know, f- through gender equity. So, so I was that last piece 16 years ago.
0: Um, and so, 16 years ago, kind of when you started at Georgetown, can you talk about what you've been doing throughout the 16 years and the roles that you've played and kind of building up the softball program to, to what it is now? Yeah.
1: You know, when I, first of all, when I went on my interview, um, probably like, like both of you who, when you saw Georgetown, you said, this is the place I need to be. And so I, I kind of look at my job interview in that same light, like I was literally flying over it. I had never been on the Georgetown campus before. Um, and, and I just looked and I, at the minute I stepped on campus, I was like, this is the school for me. If they offered me $12, I'd probably take it. Um, so I, I was enamored by the name, by the academic prestige, um, and what I might be able to do with a softball program. Um, you know, you have to remember that the first thing with college athletics is recruiting. And if you have something to sell, recruiting's a lot easier. And I've always, you know, Georgetown is, is what we call a designer institution. Um, you can go into a store and see a Georgetown shirt or uh, turn on the TV and see a Georgetown basketball game. Um, but you know, you can turn on the news, you know, night to night and see somebody who works at Georgetown or a professor at Georgetown is this. And so I felt like it was the right place for me to be able to sell regardless of the other things that I'm going to talk about. Um, so they first asked me on my interview that I would have to sell this program, um, with no money, meaning no scholarship money. I said, okay, well, you know, Georgetown falls in line with the Ivy leagues and the Ivies don't offer money. So, okay, I can probably do that. So I just kind of checked that box and said, I'll move forward. Um, You know, and and they said, well, you can have a, you know, one coach or two coaches, but the money is the same. So you can get two $20,000 coaches or whatever it was, or one $40,000 coach. Um, So I said, okay, well, I'll make that work because it'll eventually change. that's what I said to myself, of course we'll be able to get another one, one of these years. Um, And then the last piece, and it was the last part of the interview, they drove me to what would be my new field. And um, it's called Guy Mason. Now, if you look at Guy Mason today, it looks like Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. it was a one step from a sandlot and uh, they brought me down there and they said, well, what do you think? And I just kind of looked around and I've always been patty positive. So I said, well, I I guess we'll make it work. Uh, We we can figure it out. So, you know, we, that's where we played. Now here's where you start to talk about some issues that maybe at the time I didn't think of um, when I first got the job. Um, We were leasing, the facility from the District of Columbia, okay Parks and Rec, okay we, we had to deal with park and rec people day in and day out. Um, I had a very small time frame to practice each day and no weekends now if you 're ever trying to run a Division one program, particularly at Georgetown with the class con- cl- uh, conflicts that we have, weekend practices are pretty you know imperative um, and the money we started to put some money into the field, except the more money we put in and the nicer the field became, and I use that term very loosely when I say nicer, um, the more usage it received from people in the neighborhood, other leagues, adult softball, and so on. So all the work that we were doing to maintain what we were trying to, to, to play on a Division I softball field was uh, unfortunately destroyed um, most evenings when adult softball and little league and you name it came through there. Um, So, you know, this was something that was, was hard for me to grasp because I was seeing baseball play on a a much nicer field. I was watching, you know, soccer's play on a nice field. I was, and we didn't have the manpower. We didn't have the grounds crew. um, And, And that was a struggle, you know, and during our first year, we would have practice and one of our stations at practice would actually be somebody on the infield, um, pulling up the glass pieces, uh, from the infield. So that's kind of where we started. I mean, when you think about, um, those are the things that I didn't think Georgetown thought about when they were starting a softball program, um, that you actually need a field and dirt, um, that doesn't have glass in it and so on. So, you know, we've come a long way. Um, we got that field year after year. I put the manpower in my kids. I would bring rakes and weed whackers and, you know, our own Georgetown kids, some of them who never picked up a rake before in their life, um, were, were raking that field, uh, pulling weeds, getting the, doing their part to get the field ready. Um, every day before practice, we had to groom our field, uh, um, fill in the holes, things like that. And, Those are all the things that don't, that kind of are the unseen or behind the scenes aspect of of playing softball at Georgetown. Um, We continued improvements on the field. um, And um, about four years ago, uh, about four and a half years ago, I realized that I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was preparing my field more than I was preparing my team, uh, whether it was before practice or games. Um, so we have now, uh, since moved to the Washington Nationals Youth Academy, which is not ideal because Wisconsin Avenue is kind of Georgetown-ish, like it's, it's a, it's a great place to be, it's right next to that Naval Observatory, it's, um, it's got Georgetown written all over it. Um, the Washington Nationals Youth Academy is in Southeast D.C. Um, we have to drive 10 miles to get there, it's not in the best neighborhood, um, However, we now play on an all turf field. We don't have to provide maintenance for it. We have productive practices. Um, we can focus on um, what we need to do when we get there and, and not how do we get the field ready to play. Um, so, you know, those were things that I fought for, for many, many years that that how are we supposed to run a Division One program if our grass isn't cut, if our there's holes in the infield, if, you know, it, just things like that, um, and rats, you know, we've seen rats at evening practices, like, how are we supposed to do that, and um, we just didn't have the manpower, you know, Georgetown doesn't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a big facilities, groundskeeping department in the athletic department, because we operate on a turf field, and, you know, an outside company works with, on our soccer field, so we just didn't have the manpower. And, and, but to me, you know, it was frustrating because baseball was playing on a field in Montgomery County that they provided much of their, um, their field maintenance, you know, and, and that was, it was something that had been done years ago, but that became frustrating as a coach when you talk about, you know, providing the same experience for your men and your women, you know, um, so that was really a long story on our field, but that was the first initial thing that I, I definitely believe Georgetown didn't know what they were getting into when they said, "Let's start a softball program."
0: No, that's very interesting, and uh, kudos to you for really—I mean, literally—building it from the ground up. Uh, that does not sound like an easy task to undertake, and. Uh, I feel like this is a story that it has gone under the rug. But uh, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, did you feel like it was a violation of Title IX that they weren't supplying the same kind of uh, resources to to the softball team, or it was more that I guess it could kind of go again under the rug because they were giving resources to the other. Teams and maybe softball is more um, left out?
1: You know, there have been very few times in my career that I have cried gender equity, you know, Title IX. There have been, there have probably been more opportunities that I could have, but it wasn't in my nature. Um, I'm a problem solver, Um, I'm patty positive, I believe that I can fix whatever is out there, that I'll do more work. Um, but it, 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 I think I rationalized it by looking at Georgetown and saying, okay, listen, our, our resources are thin. We have 29 sports at Georgetown. We, how do we have 29 sports? I don't know, but we do. And we just don't have the manpower. It's not that they're saying to me, we don't want to do it. They're saying we just can't. Um, so it was frustrating at times. Um, but the times where I did get a little bit more vocal um, were the times where things started to move uh, in, a, in a better direction. The field, somebody helped came and helped me with the field or, you know, we moved quickly. Um, you know, it was, it was the straw that broke the camel's back was what got me going to the Washington Nationals Youth Academy. Like, you know, I showed up at our field one day in our, brand new windscreens had had uh caught fire the night before from a homeless man who started a fire in the dugout um and tore up home plate to get some kindling for the fire so that was it for me they probably i probably didn't even need to get on the phone because i was yelling so loudly from guy mason um and 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 shortly after that is when I made the decision. I, I was done with with those worries. I wanted to I wanted to put my energy into my student athletes. I didn't want to put it into a field and the homeless people and and all that was great while well, early on, but I think I was I was running um my patience was running thin, I guess. And um and that's when we moved over to to Nat. So there were some, uh, there's obviously other things with the travel over there and, but it's been a really smooth transition and, and it's been a lot easier on my program and I wish I did it earlier, honestly. Um, so, I, like I said, I think I just rationalized it, that we just didn't have the resources, we didn't have the money, um, trying to find a softball field in D.C. or, or a plot of land to build on. Um it's just, it's non-existent, and, and I knew that coming to Georgetown, so I couldn't full well turn around a few years later and be like, hey, where's my softball field, you know, when they, when they showed me what, you know, I was going to have, so I think that that was, you know, my, a little bit of my pride um, getting in the way, but um, overall, um, I just always think of myself as a problem solver, and You know, and I guess maybe solving that problem was going to Nats Academy uh, to play.
0: And so you mentioned with the fields, like the baseball team, you know, they had kind of better practicing facilities than the softball um, team. And I was wondering if you saw any other discrepancies kind of between the way that the baseball team perhaps was treated in comparison to the softball team.
1: You know, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that that I saw that. Um, I think there's one instance, you know, first of all, you, you have to remember we're, we're an outdoor sport and we didn't really have outdoor facilities to, or indoor facilities to practice in. Um, so shortly after um, I arrived, uh, Pete Wilk, who, who actually just resigned this past summer, um, help fundraise to build the outdoor cages that are sitting on top of Yates right now. So the great thing about, you know, things like a gender equity or title IX is that they, it needs to provide equal opportunity for males and females. And that's it. It doesn't have to be the one-to-one like their budget could be more because they have more people, you know, or they could choose to spend their money differently. But the the great thing about that was, you know, baseball has been around for a hundred something years. Uh, So they've got donors and men love to donate back to their programs. Um, So Pete was able to to raise money to build that outdoor uh, batting cage Uh, and and we have gotten equal use of it. And actually now baseball hardly ever uses it, uh, which is great. So we've kind of taken ownership of it. same thing, so uh, well, just about three years ago, um, when, the, when the Thompson Athletic Center opened, um, and men's basketball and women's basketball moved in there, we, there was some openings in McDonough um, and our rowing team had a space at the, in the dungeon of the Levy Center. I mean, I'm talking that it's the dungeon. Um, but they had a place where they had their ergs and they would practice in the winter. And, um, so they had complained that there was no ventilation down there. So they, when, when basketball moved out, they moved them to McDonough. So Pete and I said, well, we don't need to breathe. We're fine. You know, swinging in, in this area, it's indoors. Um, so once again, Pete was able to raise majority of the money to lay down turf and put up the netting. And we took care of a couple of smaller things, like we put a a great stereo system in there, um, you know, for the student athletes and and so on. So again, something that, you know, they raised money for, and yet we have equal opportunity to be in there. So, you know, I've been very appreciative of that relationship that we've had with baseball. Um, So overall, I would say no to, to most of that question. But I do look at things like their coaching staff. You know, they have an additional coach, um, and they have the means to be able to do that because they are able to fundraise at a at a much higher um, dollar amount than we are. Because well, we've only have sixteen years worth of alums. You know, we're relying on parents and things like that. So, so they have the ability to fund one of those positions um, as well. So those are things that I look at and say, okay, that's my next area to tackle um, because we've been stuck with that same head coach and assistant coach that I talked to you about when I was offered the job. Um, Here we are 16 years later and nothing much has changed except our sport has evolved so much that, we need specialized coaches for different positions and so on. Um, and, and we're one of the, f- the few bigger sports at Georgetown, as far as numbers go, that don't have multiple assistant coaches. It's some someday in the future that will have to be a conversation um, to have. Um, because it, it it takes away from, from the ability to our for our student athletes to get the best experience.
0: Definitely. That's very insightful. I didn't even really think about the coaching piece of that. Um, but thank you for sharing that. And um, I guess, is there anything further that maybe you would want to share with us about your experience at Georgetown or anything else you feel like maybe you want to share that you didn't get the chance to, to say yet yeah. today?
1: You know, and I think it's important that, you know, I've I've worked for Um, two fantastic um, athletic directors at Georgetown. Um, I was actually hired um, by an AD who I never worked for. Um, I was hired, signed my contract. And two days later, they, uh, a new athletic director was brought in. So, and that ended up being um, probably the best thing that could have happened to me in my career, because they brought in a man named Bernard Muir. Um, who was coming from Notre Dame, and he was a huge softball fan. So he believed that softball could thrive at Georgetown uh, because he saw it happen at Notre Dame. And um, so he was the first to say, this is crazy. You need more scholarship money. So it was small increments. It was another... It first started with one and then it went to two and then it went to two and a half and it, it, and it slowly crept up and, and he left after four years and, and he's the one who helped put that money into Guy Mason for me, um, increased our budget um, so we could travel the way we wanted to travel and interestingly enough, when I started, we were an independent program so we had no affiliation to a conference and we weren't going to. Because we didn't you have to offer um, a certain scholarship dollar to belong to the conference, and we came up with a plan to kind of add our scholarship and the financial aid that we get from Georgetown um, into one package and petition the big East to let us in so um and they did and it's been wonderful since then but but he um but he was the one who did that so. So despite having some limited resources in other areas, I always felt like I had tremendous support. Um, and then when Bernard left, and Bernard is now the AD at Stanford. So he was on the fast track. Um, and now Lee Reed, who's been there, gosh, I think Lee's probably been there 10 years now. He he has felt the same way. He has done so much for our athletic department. So it's not just about giving things to Certain sports he's developed an athletic department that kind of has this this umbrella over all of our student athletes, so you know we have more strengthening conditioning coaches and sports performance we have a leadership program you know we have um, a full time nutritionist right now a full time mental health uh, counselor and those are all pieces that to me allow programs across our athletic department to have a level of equality, you know, our tears, you know, our men's soccer team is always going to be our men's soccer team. You know, they're going to get whatever they want, but you know, in our basketball programs and I don't need, I don't need that. I, but I want the same access to academic support and, you know, and things like that. So we are, um, and, and he's done that and I've been really appreciative as a coach. Um, to doing those things and and as we've moved along our equipment budget has 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 increased um you know our travel budget has increased our per diem has increased i mean you know we've we, we we get to i get to schedule games where i want to go and play um and and they provide the resources to be able to do that so while we may not have the best facility um, I would say nobody's choosing Georgetown over a softball stadium. If you are, you're crazy, um, you know. And and I would say at this point, the only thing that is not on track with what everybody else and almost everybody else in our athletic department has, at least the bigger the teams, um, is our locker room. And um, and that's that's been a, a disappointing piece, and we're working towards. Um, raising some money and and trying to to do that because all of the other sports, baseball, you know, got the men's basketball locker room when they moved out, you know, the TAC, you know, took care of certain sports. Cooper field is taking care of field talking and football now. So we're kind of that last team that is still operating out of something from the late 60s, you know, early 60s, something like that. And has, and trust me, it's, it's not a place that you want to spend a lot of time. So, you know, to me, when you talk about gender equity and title IX, that opportunity to, to come together with your team in a, in a safe place in your locker room to prepare for your game, that's not on par. That is not on par across the board. And, and they know that they know that we've had discussions about it. It's something that I, that, you know, maybe before your time at Georgetown is over, you know, that, you'll know a softball player who's in a nice locker room. Um, But, you know, like I said, I I think that, you know, the Georgetown, um, over these, these 16 years that I've been here in the commitment they've made to their programs, it's, it's made the, the, the title IX piece or the gender equity has made our teams more competitive across the board where, when I got here, it was just basket men's basketball, and it was just men's lacrosse. Those were the two sports and by providing those equal opportunities for all the student athletes, I mean look at our soccer programs I mean they were they were not good when I got here um, and and they are, you know final four programs um, you know our women 's lacrosse program you know is our golf's, um, tennis, everything has been elevated because of the commitment from our athletic department and our university to to, to provide those equal opportunities and making sure that every student athlete is feeling valued um, and has the same opportunity. That it's made all of us much stronger, rather than just kind of being top heavy, and um, and and that's what it was. And 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 listen, you know you know, I look at something like, um, you know, men's basketball, you know, now women's basketball is, you know, I don't know if if you've ever been inside the Thompson Athletic Center, but they have, you know, this, this is to me is a great example of, of title IX because they each have their own practice gym and they each have the same amount of offices and their head coach office looks the same and they have conference rooms and they have strength, like every single thing about their programs, it's like a mirror image. And, um, and, and title nine and, and, those opportunities have, have made that happen because for so long basketball was king everywhere. And then you'd have women's basketball, you know, also playing over here. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I see that, you know, what they've done across the board is just, you know, um, I, I never feel, I never feel slighted, um, at Georgetown. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people around me will say, gosh, I can't believe you don't have a facility or you don't have this, you do not that. And I said, well, maybe not, but I have this and I have that and I have this and I have Georgetown. Um, and all of you can't say that. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely like think that, benefits and the participation piece are are really really important um you know throughout throughout their our athletic department
0: that's great to hear that you know it's not everything is pretty equitable equitable across the board at georgetown and hopefully those locker rooms will be built (laughs) before our time is over at georgetown Thank you again to Coach Pat Conlon for sitting down with us and sharing her story about the softball program and Title IX at Georgetown. It goes without saying that Coach Conlon is an unsung hero of Georgetown due to all that she has done with building the softball program from the ground up. Thank you again to Coach Conlon for sharing her story. Make sure to tune in to the next episode with former Georgetown head field hockey and lacrosse coach Kim Tortolani. Thank you.